study through the book of Mark. But if you notice anything about the book of Mark, as you get closer to the end, the chapters get longer. 37 verses in 13. Chapter 14 has 72 verses. Chapter 15 has 47. So we got about another six months here in Mark, but we're moving. We're moving right along, though. I don't know how far we're going to get tonight because we're getting into end times here. If a, it'd be wonderful if we could spend the whole evening and just get the whole context of Mark 13, but a lot of the times that just doesn't work out time-wise. So we're going to do what we can here and try to stick as best as we can to the context of these passages because these passages, if you just start taking a couple verses here and there and kind of scripture plucking, you're going to get into some problems with that, and we don't want to do that. We always want to get the full context of this, and we're getting into end times here. Let's pray and get started. Lord, you teach, we listen, let your Holy Spirit lead, guide, and direct. Just the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and Lord, what glorifies you, that's what matters, what glorifies you, equips the saints, and takes us deeper in you to proclaim your truth in your name. Amen. All right, if you think, grab a sheet, some on the back there. You can take a look at the sheet right here real quick. This is a little outline that we have been using for years out here just to kind of point your attention towards different events. That way, when we throw these terms out there, you can kind of see what we're talking about. On the back, this is a classic example. We've used rapture versus the second coming. And then we just got some other terms in there as well. Tribulation, abomination of desolation, and the millennial reign. We're going to be throwing those terms out there a lot. That way you can follow along with us. What you have going on here, Mark 13, is a chapter all about end times and prophecy. And this is what makes this chapter so fascinating. Because I believe it's important to understand this. Now, there's two extremes when you get to end times and prophecy in the Bible, please be careful of either extreme. Extreme one is that's all you want to talk about. You're going to spend all your life trying to figure out who the Antichrist is, Jesus Christ is returning, all these other type of things, and your whole focus becomes end times. And what happens is you're so focused on the end of the world, you're not living for the Christ right now in this world. Be careful about that. I know some people that are so focused on end times and prophecy and all this other stuff that's happening in the Middle East, but yet their neighbor, they don't even get a chance to witness to them because they're not even caring about what's going on at this moment. The other swing of the pendulum is this. Hey, I'm not going to be here for it. What difference? does it make? Well, it does make a difference because this is in Mark 13. This is in Matthew 24 and 25. This is in Luke 21. There's the whole book of Revelation. This is referenced in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Thessalonians. This is repeated repeatedly because God doesn't want us to be ignorant of this. So what we need to do is just do what the scriptures say. What you're going to see here in this chapter is this idea of taking heed and this idea of watch. Take heed is mentioned three times in this chapter. The idea of watch is mentioned five times. God is telling you, take heed and watch. Have an understanding of this. Have an understanding. Verse 33 sums it up nicely. Verse 33, take heed, watch, and pray. For you do not know what the time is. Boy, that sums it up perfectly. Take heed, watch, and pray. So have a good understanding of this because this is a great witnessing tool. It really is. People want to know about the end of the world. They do. Even non-believers are familiar with terms like Antichrist and Armageddon and rapture and return. They, they kind of heard these terms before. And it's good to have a working biblical knowledge of this. You may not fully grasp and understand every reference in Revelation or in Daniel or Ezekiel. And you know what? That's okay. But have a working knowledge understanding of this outline right here. And that will get you far just to understand these different events that we're talking about. So keep this in front of you. You can make references to that throughout as we go. 
And let's just jump right into this. The context of this goes back to verses 1 and 2 as they're walking by the temple. And they looked at the temple and they said, this place is amazing. In verse 2, Jesus says, yes, but it will be destroyed. We covered that extensively last week. If you weren't with us, I encourage you to get online, listen to that, grab a CD of it. Because we talked about the actual temple mount and the beauty of that. But now we get to verse 3. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, so he's just really on the hills outside the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? So they're still chewing on what Jesus said back there in verse 2. Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Once again, if you weren't with us last week, I don't want to repeat the whole message, but that understanding that that temple would be destroyed is unbelievable. This vast 33-acre complex to be completely destroyed, but that's what happened about 40 years from now. Roman, uh, Roman General Titus comes and destroys it. They're stopping. They're saying, how can this be? Give us more detail with this. And they asked him privately about it. Now, as we get ready to go through this, please remember once again, I mentioned it earlier. This is in Matthew 24, 25, and Luke 21. Each one of those gives a little bit more detail. The account here in Mark 13 is kind of just the straightforward account, and that's what we're going to stick with. Also remember the context of this. These are Jewish men asking a Jewish teacher about a Jewish temple. So just remember that. So as a church, the body of Christ, there's a lot of things in here that really don't apply to us, and we got to be careful that we don't take these verses and force them to apply to us. There's some very Jewish things going on here. And let me repeat this point again. You have Jewish men asking a Jewish teacher about a Jewish temple. Now, prophetically, this is really important. And it's fascinating to see the prophecies coming out of this. And this is stuff that you can actually see start to be fulfilled right now in front of you. That's what makes this so fascinating. This is what I love about prophecy. When people come up and ask, how do you know the Bible's true? One of the greatest attributes of the Bible to show its truth and validity is the idea of prophecy. That's pretty impressive. To predict the future and actually have it happen. Isaiah says this back in Isaiah 41. Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. So you want to show how impressive you are? Show us what will happen. Let them show the former things what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them or declare us things to come. Show us the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and see it together. So basically what Isaiah is saying through the Lord in Isaiah 41 is, you want to prove that you're a prophet, tell us what's going to happen. And if it happens, then we know it's true. If you remember the rule for prophecy back in the Old Testament, it's pretty straightforward. If you give a prophecy and if that prophecy doesn't come true, you're supposed to be stoned to death. That would really limit false prophets. Nowadays, ah, that junk is all over the place. You can have your own TV show, your own radio program, your own website. I mean, now, especially with the internet, these crazy, and I mean absolutely dangerous, crazy people, they put a video up there, and they got some verses to back it up, and it's like, you got to be careful of this junk. If you would rewind the clock to Old Testament, you would really limit the people that claim to be a prophet. I'll tell you that right now. You want to know if it's true? If it happens, it was true. A few years ago, someone came up to me and shared with me an article saying that the prophet declared that they were going to start rebuilding the temple in Israel and they had a date for it. They said, what do you think about this? And the date was about three months in the future. My response was pretty straightforward. Let's wait three months and see what happens. Because if it's true, if it's a prophet, it's going to happen. 
If it's not prophecy, let's take them back out and stone them. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do here. So if people want to claim to be a prophet, that's fine. Back it up with truth. Back it up with validity here. This is what separates God's word from any other quote-unquote religious book is prophecy fulfilled. And if you don't believe me, go read Ezekiel, go read Daniel, go read these books, and you see these things fulfilled to the year and to the day. It's absolutely, absolutely amazing. So that's the prophetic side of this. There's also the practical side of this. What are we going to do with this information? We know the end of the world is coming. We know it. Every person you live with and every person you work with, when the rapture happens, when Christ comes back, and it comes back right here, and here's your sheet now when you understand the rapture. Christ meets us in the air. Christ returns to take us home. We go home with Christ. When the rapture happens, every person you live with, every person you work with, every single person in this church is either going to go or stay. That's, that's going to happen. So if we know these things are going to happen, what are we going to do with this information? And I think this is where, as Christians, we get into a really dangerous sleep, if you will. We know this stuff, but it doesn't motivate us. It doesn't urge us on. I like what it says in Romans 13. And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Listen to that. It's high time to awake out of sleep. There are so many Christians hitting the little spiritual snooze button. They understand this. They believe in the rapture. They believe the Antichrist is coming. They believe in all this stuff. And what do they do with this information? Nothing. It doesn't motivate them to spread the gospel. It doesn't motivate them to live a pure life. It doesn't motivate them to get into the word. It doesn't motivate them to do anything. And according to Romans 13, they're asleep. That's a dangerous thing to be. So when you walk out of this message tonight and you say, oh, that was neat. You love hearing about Armageddon and tribulation and the battle of Gog and Magog and Antichrist. You love hearing, but what are you going to do with that information? I hope it motivates you to look at everybody you work with, live with, run into, and stop and say, that soul is spending eternity in heaven or hell. And that's why it says in Mark 13, 33, I'm supposed to take heed, watch, and pray. Go do something with this to realize we're supposed to take this and go be a light in the world. So there's the prophetic and there's the practical, and I hope we hit both as we go through this. So with that being said, what's the first thing Jesus wants to tell us about, about the end of the world? Verse 5, Jesus answered them, answering them, excuse me, began to say, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and will deceive many. The first thing you see about end times is false deception. That's the first thing you see is false deception. Can you go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, please? 1 Timothy chapter 4. This idea of this falseness that's going around, the false teaching, everything. This is nothing new as you're going to 1 Timothy 4. Paul, when he left Ephesus back in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20, his final teaching to them was this. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. He said people will come in from the outside and people will come up from the inside. I tell you, I am not concerned about the false teaching that comes from other religions. That doesn't concern me. What concerns me is the people that quote the Bible out of context and gullible Christians don't do their homework to study it out to see if it's true. That's what concerns me. And I've had so many people over the years come up and say, hey, what do you think of this teacher? 
He just teaches straight from the Bible. Yes, he does. Completely out of context and twisted. That's exactly what Satan did back in the Garden of Eden during the temptation of Christ. Understand the Bible, know the Bible, and I don't care who's ever up here teaching behind this pulpit, check them out to make sure it's biblical. Find the context of the verse, make sure it can be backed up with Scripture in the right context. Be very, very careful because what did Jesus say? The first point of end times is there's going to be deception. People will try to deceive you, people will come and say, I am the Christ. That's what we got to be careful about. First Timothy chapter 4, please. Start in verse 1 with me. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Boy, verse 1, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Boy, that always makes me upset. Somebody who has, I think, sat under a hope, good Bible, godly teaching, they get sucked into this falseness. And I stop, and it frustrates me, but I look at this, that's fulfilled prophecy right in front of my eyes. Because Paul said 2,000 years ago, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. My goodness, now it seems like almost any famous Christian that we use that term famous, we probably shouldn't, they're starting to fall. They get away from God's word, and it's just what a struggle that is. Jump ahead now to 2 Timothy, please. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Take a look at verse 1. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. Now listen to this description. Does this not sound like right now? Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And look at verse 5. Having a form of godliness but dying its power from such people turn away. They look good, they sound good, but they're not rooted in Christ. That's the deception. Same book, jump ahead to chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing in His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Folks, that's happening right in front of us. People are turning away from the teaching of God's word. They're turning away from the preaching of God's word. And they're going to this cotton candy type message that just makes you want to feel good. you got to be careful about that stuff. Paul, when speaking to Timothy, and this is the last book that Paul wrote, when the Spirit led Paul to write this, look how he finishes right this. Verse 2, preach the word. That's what he told him to do. And the longer I do this, the more I realize we just got to keep teaching God's word. We just got to stay focused on it. And guess what? We're going to finish up Proverbs on Sunday. And that means in two weeks, let's just pick another book and just start going through it verse by verse again. We're going to finish up Mark here in about six months, I said. And then once we get done with that, we'll pick another book and we'll just start going through it. It's not that topicals are bad. I don't want to say that. But I just keep seeing this emphasis on God's word. Just keep preaching it, keep teaching it, keep going through it, because in times, it's going to get funky out there, folks. Be very careful. Be very careful. 
John wrote this in 1 John chapter 2, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many little a antichrists have come by which we know this is the last hour. There's false messiahs out there. There's false gods out there. There's false religions out there. And they fall sometimes under the umbrella of Christianity. And you've got to be careful to make sure it's solid, godly, and biblical. So Jesus, when answering these questions, the first point he brings up is what? Be careful of the deception at the end. Jump back to Mark 13 and jump ahead to chapter 21, please. Look what he says a little bit farther along. He says, then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, he's there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and show signs. And if wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect, but take heed, see, I've told you all things beforehand. He said, this is what's going to happen. And that's what happens. Don't waste your time on it. But there's a whole Wikipedia page on people that claim to be Jesus. I went to it a while ago, and I think last count I had, there was over 40 people that's claiming to be Jesus right now. That's a funky thing going on, folks. Be careful about this type of stuff. I shared with you the story that uh, a couple months ago when I was in Walmart, I ran into a guy, started talking to him, sharing with him, and he told me he was the creator. He was the creator. That's in Bowling Green, Walmart. You're going to run into a guy that claims to be the creator of the world. This stuff is out there. And if you're not grounded in this book, you're going to get sucked into it. And if you're not grounded in God's word, you're going to stop and say that person speaks with authority. That person quotes some verses. That person sounds like they know what they're talking about. Sounds good. You have a responsibility to be diligent, to study these things out and make sure it's solid, good food. The talks in the book of Acts about the Bereans. They were more noble. They were more honorable because they went and they studied out what Paul said. Study it out, ask questions, be careful of the deception that's coming at end times. That's the first thing that God warns us about, about the end times. All righty, any quick questions about that before we move on here? Just got to get that one laid first. Good, Mark. I have a question, but I noticed that like, TV commercials and people in a lot of different places in society, you hear this comment by many, many people, Amen. It's a sign of the pride. Yeah, it's, it's that pride. You know, it comes back to uh, Romans 1, where one of the signs where Paul said, too, is that people are worshiping the creation instead of the creator. And the problem with that is it's so much easier to worship creation. Creation's beautiful. But just see the power behind the creation. We just got to be careful with that. Anybody else got any other quick questions here before we move on? Okay, so we laid the found work foundation, I should say. Found work is a, is a fancy term for foundation and groundwork together. And I just coined that phrase. Um, we'll have t-shirts next week with that on that. So we've just laid the found work of the idea of deception coming here at the end. What's the next thing he says is going to happen at the end? Verse 7. But when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be troubled, for such things must happen, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. Okay, real quick. I don't know how else to say this, and I really don't want to be rude when I say this. We Christians get too scared on what we read in the papers and see on the news. 
We, we do. It says right here, folks, verse 7, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Do not be troubled. Don't be troubled. Okay, but did you hear what Iran's doing? I don't know, but I'm sure they hate the Jews, right? Did you hear what North Korea's doing? I'm sure they're threatening somebody again. What about Syria? You know what? We got a presidential election coming up. We're going to hear the Republicans say this. We're going to hear the Democrats say this. Guys, verse 7, you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. Do not be troubled. For why? Such things must happen, but the end is not yet. This is prophecy in front of us. So when you flip on the news, and I just actually encourage you, maybe don't even flip on the news, but when you do, and you just hear everybody's angry at everybody, and there's going to be a fight and a war, some, that is fulfilled prophecy right in front of you. Right in front of you. I love what 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. When I know the Lord of peace, who gives me peace, I will have peace in every way so I don't get worked up about wars and rumors of wars. Because as a Christian, I am more than a conqueror in Christ, according to Romans chapter 8. And as a Christian, I don't walk in the spirit of fear. So as a believer, if you allow world events to trouble you, you're not following the words of Christ. Be careful of those things. Verse 8, there has to be nations rising against nations. There has to be kingdoms against kingdoms. There needs to be earthquakes. There needs to be famines. There needs to be troubles. Other uh, translations, other, excuse me, chapters also add the word pestilences. This is what's happening right now, guys. There's rumors of wars. There's wars. There's signs. There's earthquakes. There's famines. There's pestilences. Verse 8, these are the beginnings of sorrow. Some translations, these are the birth pains. This is the pre-labor starting to happen. I don't make jokes about ladies going into labor. I will joke about anything, but I will not joke about that. I saw Dawn do it five times. That ain't funny, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> when it starts to happen, ladies, you know what's coming. You can tell. God is saying, when you see these wars, rumors of war, signs, famines, pestilences, that's the labor starting to happen. And I would assume any woman... When that way she knows the baby's coming, that's her body's way of saying, get ready. We're supposed to say, get ready. It's starting to happen. And folks, it's starting to happen right now. The danger is, now going back to Romans 13, we're still asleep. You're asleep. You're asleep through pain. You're asleep through sorrow. No, that's not possible. You've all been woken up at night by pain before. God is saying these birth pains, these sorrows are supposed to wake you up to realize why am I really worried about this world at all? I got to get my eyes on eternity. Jesus Christ is returning. And so therefore my time, my energy, my effort, my finances, my emotions goes into something deeper than what's going on right here, right now. So the first thing he told us about back in 5 and 6, be weary of deception. The next thing he tells you about in verses 7 and 8 is when you see the world falling apart around you, don't get worried. Don't get worked up. In fact, it says in other places in the Bible, look up for your redemption draws near. It's coming, folks. Get prepared. Get ready. Now we're to verse 9. Watch out. Remember we said earlier here, this idea, watch out, is used five different times. Watch. What am I supposed to do with this information? 
Watch out. Take heed. Do something. Because why? Verse 9. Watch out for yourselves. They will deliver you to councils. You will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake for a testimony to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all of the nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour, speak that. For it's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death, and father is child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. First one, deception. Second one, birth pains. Third one, persecution. Now this one doesn't affect us as much. We're still very, very blessed. We're meeting right now, freely, openly, safely. Messages are recorded. We'll stick them out online. Probably being live streamed right now. People can watch it. No fear, no threat of that. Other places of the world, you can't do this. We have to realize, verse 9, watch out for yourselves. They will deliver you to councils and you will be beaten. First off, it did happen. Rewind the clock. You can go see what happened to early church, a book of Acts, and even centuries after that, the persecution and death and torture they went through. And the stuff is still happening today. It is still happening today. You will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake. That idea, my sake. Jump ahead to verse 13. You will be hated all for my name's sake. See, it's all for him. They're not bringing you before councils because of you. You're doing it because of your stand for Jesus. You'll be hated, verse 13, for your stand for Jesus. Remember what Christ said, they hated me, they'll hate you. We do all these things for him. I think we forget that sometimes as believers. Why are we doing it? I'm doing it for him. So if he says witness, I witness. If he says stop, I stop. If he says go, I go. It's all for him. Yeah, but Lord, I don't want to. Doesn't matter. You said go, I go. But Lord, I want to go. You're telling me to stop. But no, I do it for him. Please learn to do everything for his sake, for his glory, for his name's sake. It's all about him. So any persecution, any tribulation, any hate that I have, if it's because of me, it doesn't really matter then. It's all supposed to be about him. And I think once again, as believers, we forget that. The attention, the focus is always on him. Why? Verse 10, it's all about the gospel. Boy, can you imagine if we would just live that way? If we would really just stop and realize the only thing that matters is where that person's going to spend eternity. I don't know about you. Take the last argument you got into with your spouse. It probably had nothing to do with the gospel. Take the last time you got worked up about something at work. It probably had nothing to do with the gospel. The last time you got so fired up in life and you were getting really worked up, it probably had nothing to do with the gospel. Probably not. Maybe for some of you it did. Boy, can you imagine if that's all that mattered was the gospel? Verse 10, and the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Wow, that idea. It has to be preached. I want it to be preached. And it's going to be preached to all the nations. That means I don't have to worry about those people living in the Amazon. Because the gospel will be preached to them. The Lord has it covered. How does the Lord have it covered? He has it covered in three different ways. Let's break them down and talk about it. First one, Psalm 19, please. Can you go with me to Psalm 19? Three different ways the gospel will be preached to the whole world. Psalm 19. Psalm 19, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. 
First way the gospel is preached to the entire world is by creation. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament, the expanse, the heavens show His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Guess what? You can see the moon wherever you're out in the world. And you can look at the, that moon and say, how'd that thing get there? It makes you stop and think. You can see the glory of the sun. You can see the glory of the stars. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line, verse 4, their sound, some translations, has gone out through all the earth and the words to the end of the world. In them he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and it rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So the first way the gospel is preached to the entire world is by creation itself. You just you have to stop and say, how did this get here? Creation itself proclaims the gospel. So that's one way the gospel is preached in the entire world. Next one. Can you go with me now to Romans chapter 1, please? Romans 1. This is the second way the gospel is preached. First one was nature. The next one is just your inner being. Verse 18, Romans 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's a powerful verse. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. What does that mean? That means you feel bad when you do something wrong. I don't believe in God. Then why are you convicted? I don't believe in absolute morality. Then why do you know that stealing is wrong? Why do you know that murder is wrong? Because there is an inner part of you. The wrath of God is revealed against you. Verse 9. Because what may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has shown it to them. The Lord has shown right and wrong. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. They know right from wrong. They know the invisible attributes of God. And they may not want to admit it, but that's why it says in verse 18, they suppress the truth and right and righteousness. So we have nature as a witnessing tool. We have the inner being of ourselves that God speaks to conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's a witnessing tool. And if that's not straightforward with you enough, uh, you don't have to turn there. But the last one is in the book of Revelation. You have the two witnesses that for three and a half years are going to be witnesses. You have the 144,000. You have in Revelation 14, angels flying over the world proclaiming the gospel. So you have creation proclaiming the gospel. We have the innerness of our being proclaiming that God exists. And then in the book of Revelation, you're going to have literally two witnesses, 144,000. You're going to have angels flying over the world proclaiming the gospel. The gospel will be heard by the entire world. So therefore, there will not be somebody who will die, stand before God and say, I never knew. I never knew there was something bigger than me. I know some Christians that get really worried about people who have never heard. And I just say, guys, Psalm 19, Romans 1, Revelation 14, the whole world will hear. God has promised that. He's a fair, just God, and he's promised that. Jump back now to Mark 13, please. Verse 11, they will arrest you. They will deliver you up. And look at this strange verse in verse 11. 
don't plan ahead what you're going to say. Now, that's not saying don't pray about it. That's not saying don't study the scriptures. But don't get stuck on having a planned, prepared speech. You know, anytime I teach, I spend a lot of time in prayer. I spend a lot of time in study. And I have a lot of notes. But when I get up here, I also stop and say, Lord, whatever the Holy Spirit wants to say, let's just go with it. Because we have to know and trust that. There's a time of planning. There's a time of praying. There's a time of preparation. But you've got to be careful in verse 11 that he's saying in these specific things, you have to not worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit at that time will give you the words and the utterance. I know a lot of people that are scared. I mean literally scared to death of public speaking. I look at this verse 11 and I try to tell them, listen, the Holy Spirit at that moment will tell you what you're supposed to say. I, let me repeat this point again. That doesn't mean you do not pray about it. That does not mean you don't study it. It just means that you don't come up with this planned speech that you say, I have to repeat this word for word. No, because the Holy Spirit may lead in a different direction and you have to trust the Holy Spirit will lead you. I hope all of you have had an experience where you're saying something and as you're saying something, you realize that's not me, that's the Holy Spirit. I find myself doing that sometimes when I, when I hear myself teach. If you ever see me sometimes taking notes, I'm taking notes on what I said. I didn't think it was that good. I need to write that down. That's really good. Because that, well, that wasn't on the sheet. I'll tell you that right now. I have to trust that the Holy Spirit is leading at that moment and at that time. So how do you get to that point of, of, of dare I say, confidence in the Spirit? By being in prayer, by being in preparation, by being in studying. Say, Lord, I've been down this path before. I know you're going to do it. I can remember when I first started teaching, there'd be times where the message didn't come. It just didn't come. It'd be a Saturday and I'm trying to prepare the message and it did not come. And so I would get up super early on Sunday morning and say, I got to get something. I got to get something. I've done this now long enough to know that, you know what? The message hasn't come. God still has got it planned. He's going to bring it together at the right moment. I've come up here before with teaching. And sometimes I have multiple notes. Tonight I have multiple papers and I got a lot of different things in here because we're getting into end times. I don't know where we're going to go with it. There's been other times I've come up here with a sticky note that just has three verses on it. That's all I know I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to make sure I hit those three verses and the Lord takes it from there because the Holy Spirit will lead at that moment at that time. But look at verse 12. Brother will betray brother to death. Father is child and children rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. We don't deal with that here in America, but I tell you, there's a lot of places in the world where that's happening. If you've never gone to the website, I encourage you to go take a look at something like Voice of the Martyrs. Um, it's amazing is not the right word, because that almost makes it sound like it's a good thing, but it's, it's absolutely amazing to hear what's happening in other parts of the world, the stand that people are taking for the gospel. It's just unbelievable that verse 12 is literally happening right in front of us. We don't see it once again here in Northwest Ohio, but that's happening in other places of the world. Verse 13, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. Please don't be surprised when people can't stand the fact that you're a believer. It's going to happen, folks. Jesus said 2,000 years ago, it's going to happen. So Christ, when asked about what does it look like at the end, first point, there will be deception all over the place. Second point, there will be signs of the birth pains. And then number three, there's going to be persecution. That's what we're going to have to call it for tonight. So that means next week we will get into abomination of desolation. We'll get into actual return of Jesus Christ, Armageddon, etc. We'll pick it up in verse 14 because once we get into that topic, 
That's a much, much bigger topic there. Keep these sheets, please, in your Bible. We'll have more on the back there that you can grab for next week because we'll be getting into more of those references of millennial reign, abomination of desolation, rapture versus second coming, etc. Any final questions about anything here tonight before we go ahead and close you out with a word of prayer? Good? Note the time. You got out five minutes early. Do something productive with that, please. Let's stand and pray. Ah, Lord, good to be here. Thankful for this. And I just want to pray in this end time season, help us to understand the deceptions out there. And I just, I just go back to this simple point, Lord. You said your truth, your word is truth, and the Holy Spirit is truth. Let us focus on those three truths. When we run into the false teaching, help us to have the Holy Spirit lead and guide us into all truth. Number two, Lord, help us to understand when we see the world falling apart that we do not walk in fear. We walk in faith and we look up and say our redemption draws near. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And Lord, lastly, just the persecution. The persecution that some may be facing and hereby just think of our brothers and sisters in other places of the world that we can't even imagine. Lord, be with them, strengthen them in this time. And we do this for your namesake. That's what it comes down to, Lord, for your namesake. All for you in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.